It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in today. We are continuing in a very serious subject here on Engage in Truth. Last week, we really ventured into some very treacherous territory uh, because of what is going on in the climate today. Anything that we say could be held against us, right? Where we, uh, we, we boldly speak out in truth on very serious subjects with the intent that we're giving you a biblical worldview on these particular subjects. But we also know that at times, People can take what we say out of context, so it's important that you go back and re-listen to this broadcast and the series as often as you can and get the word out frequently, share it with friends and family alike. The subject that we started with last week that was somewhat controversial is we were talking about Pride Month, the rainbow, the woke culture. But really, in that particular subject or series of discussions was really the overarching theme about gender identity, marriage, sexuality. What does the Bible really teach us about these things? And and in understanding that, what we find is really God's intent for us and His plan for us and, and the beauty of it, that we can trust God in these things, that He desires the best for us when we understand His will and ways We can trust Him, and He truly has a beautiful and wonderful plan for us if we submit to His authority. And so, as we're going through this difficult subject again, we're now going to explore it a little bit further, even for God's original design. We're going to talk a little bit more about this and and how and why God works through women and men alike and in our, our marriage union and even our sexuality, human gender. We're going to explore all of this a little bit closer. It's probably going to take us a few weeks to do that. So to help me here in the studio, Dr. Steve Ford. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. I just, I love these times together. And I am so excited about this program and about this series. I think there are so many great things that we've already covered. I know I learned a lot last time Mm. and uh, looking forward to learning more. And I know that your preparations have been so uh, heartfelt and spirit-led, and I know we both want to make sure that we reflect the love of Jesus Christ and everything that we say, and that everything we say accurately reflect His view, the views of the Bible as we read them, as we understand them to be. But mostly, uh, everything that we're saying today, it's out of concern and care and love for those who are listening to us. That's right. And we just want to make sure that it, that everything that we say comes through that way. Amen. We were talking during our last episode, you were giving us what I thought was a very fascinating historical perspective. And, and before the show, I was mentioning that I was, had been listening to Timothy Keller, mm. and he was talking about how the first sexual revolution was actually based on Christianity in the Greco-Roman world when, when uh, there was sort of a double standard with men and women in marriage. Men could pretty much sleep with whatever and whoever they wanted to sleep with, mm. uh, where women were confined strictly to the marriage bed. And some of it had to do with making sure that any any progeny that came along were actually that man's as far as inheritance rights go and that sort of thing. 
And then Paul comes along and says, no, what's what you're actually, you know, what's, what's happening with the woman here is wonderful. And this is very biblical. And this is, this is something that God endorses, but you need to live up to the same standard. So it was really mm-hmm. empowering and, and, and raising the status of women to the status of men at that point, wow. where now the men was hold, the man was hold to the same standard as the woman was. So that was really the first sexual revolution was based on Christianity. That was a novel thought back then you know we don't realize it today 2000 years later but when paul was saying no you know you need to live up to this standard too as the male of the house that was tremendously revolutionary at the time so i I think that's i think that's just wonderful sometimes you know christianity can be seen as holding people back in their you know sexuality and this sort of thing but really it's it's empowering uh, towards what God's intention was for sexuality and, and really what's what's going to bring us the most joy and bring us in a closer relationship with Him. That's right. Amen. Well, and as we now look a little bit closer into this, I, I think that is we, we talk about the controversial things all day, and that, that may draw the listener. Um, I'm hoping that those who have been really faithfully listening to this program have known for all the years that we've been on the air now that we're going to explore, explore all this very closely as we examine Scripture. And Scripture will be our roadmap through this discussion, because as we were talking off the off air, we were really just sharing in in the consensus that if we trust God as we should, He always has our best intent right. for us. Right? I mean, everything from agriculture uh, to to homesteading to the the way we operate within a uh, community, yeah. uh, governance and law and so forth. Everything was designed that that not only did it point to Jesus Christ and the hope in Jesus Christ, but in our daily living, there would we would find fulfillment, we'd find purpose, yes, even joy in our labors, right. that we could till under the sun and find satisfaction in that, that we could labor within the gardens and find joy in that. And, and so everything, if we trust him, we know that he always has our best intent at heart, right. and that is even if we don't fully understand, yeah. even if we somehow think that, like you mentioned there, that he's somewhat holding us back right. as if, you know, he's trying to just be, a, you know, some sort of a, a rights and rules and regulations of a rod of iron and saying, right. you can't do that. And right. I'm not going to tell you why. And there's right. no reason I said it, just do it. <laughs> right. And yet if we truly believe him, what we his way is always the right way. That's and exactly anytime right. he says, go this way, and we start to look the other direction. That never works out well. It's yeah. never the grass is greener on the other side. God right. always has the best plan. And so then if we truly want to find the satisfaction in our design, in the way God has made us it, it is, is a male or female, and to find the great joy in that, what I've found scripturally is that when we do what we're called to do, if men truly love their wives— is Christ loved the church. Right. If wives were to respect their husbands, like even Sarah and Abraham called a master, right. and, and there was this, such a respect given that that just created such balance within the home that the woman will find absolute peace and satisfaction in that, and the husband will find that he has his greatest joy is even with his wife. And, and that truly there's a balance there that even embodies the beauty of the design that we find within the triune nature of Amen. God, yeah. that, that this this marriage relationship was very different from all of creation. So if you don't mind, Dr. Ford, I'll jump right into yeah, that. Yeah, that sounds uh, great. Let's look at some of the original design here. In fact, let me just take it a little bit different path, because immediately we might think, let's go to Genesis initially, right? Let's just talk about the creation of husband and, and wife, and male and female. And when I say that, we got to understand that when God created, he created male and female of all of the animal kingdom. That's right. 
but yet he reserved woman differently for a different time and a different way to be created out of man. Something very unique amongst all of creation, reserving his final creation with woman. Right. And and so we got to understand why would he do that? If there wasn't a bigger plan and a bigger image that was being conveyed in that, then what was the purpose in making Adam almost seemingly appear to be alone, even though God was with him, he still needed something else. There, there was an incomplete work that God was demonstrating that reveals even something about his own nature. Let me take us to Matthew 19, 3 to 6 for a moment. He says here, is it lawful? For a man to divorce his wife for just any reason, seems like an interesting place to start, Uh, but this is where where they're asking Jesus this very direct question, and he, being Jesus, answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh." Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What a powerful answer from Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is where it brings us right back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that God created human beings distinctly as male and female. And the distinctness, this complementarity, this relational nature of human races, male and female, is based on the created order given by God when he created humanity. And he didn't just create humanity, he created humanity in his image, right? right? Something very unique amongst all of creation. And we see that in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, also in chapter 5 and chapter 9. It's throughout the New Testament as well. And these establish this normative connection then between biological sex and gender. So the created distinctness This relational nature also established the basis for what we know as the marital relationship that's between one man and one woman. God created that. Man didn't in Genesis chapter 2 and Ephesians 5. So the Bible then affirms two options or giftings for sexual expression. And here it is. Number one, a monogamous marital relationship between one man and one woman. And that's in Genesis 1 and 2. We see that in Matthew 19, Mark 10, 1 Corinthians 7, Hebrews 13, Ephesians 5. I cite all that because I want you to know this is not just coming from me. This, right. is a, this is coming from the Word of God. So we have a monogamous marital relationship between one man and one, one, one woman or sexual celibacy. Right. Those are the only two options. If one is not in a monogamous marital relationship between one man and one woman, as we see in 1 Corinthians 7 and Matthew 19, then sexual celibacy is the only way. And certainly the Apostle Paul spoke to that. Yeah, spoke that highly. There was nothing wrong yeah. about being single. And certainly that he was able to dedicate himself wholly, fully to God's work. But if there is going to be a sexual behavior that's taking place, it's only in a marriage union and only between a man and a woman in that marriage union. So within this biblical design, there can be found sexual fulfillment. Outside that design, sexual expression is improper. According to 1 Corinthians 6, Leviticus 18 and 20, amongst many others. That's just to summarize that. But the Bible affirms that human sexuality is a gift and is to be treasured and enjoyed. I mean, God gave them this gift as a husband and wife to have this bond between their flesh. But it's more than that. It's not just two flesh vessels coming together. It's it's two souls coming together with the joy of a physical expression. And we see that in Genesis 2 and Proverbs 5 and 31, 1 Corinthians 7. 
as is sexual celibacy. That can be very fulfilling and rewarding as well. If done honoring, because after all, we are a body, a temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. God inhabits this place. But the fall of humanity in Genesis 3 corrupted human sexuality in both spiritual and physical ways, according to Romans 1 and Ephesians 2. And one result is confusion. And we certainly see that in our culture today. And it also leads to pain in the lives of those who struggle with brokenness regarding gender and who even struggle with the guilt of desiring sinful expressions of sexuality. And we see that in Genesis 3 and Romans 3 and 5. So what's the solution? I mean, really, that's that's the question. If somebody's listening right now, what's the solution? Because people may have a desire for something that they know doesn't honor God. I mean, certainly we've talked on the program about men being desirous of pornography right. and all types of sexual sin. I don't think that we could probably find enough paper to come up with the ways that we can bring debauchery and immorality that's with right. our vessels. Right. I mean, Leviticus 18 and 20 are not exhaustive, yeah. but yet that just gives us a glimpse of what right. we're capable of even conceiving of our immorality of this flesh. So what's the solution to all of this? I mean, even we find that Christians alike can even experience ungodly desires, right? And so the Bible prescribes faith in Jesus Christ, number one. And we see that 1 Corinthians 15, two to three, as the remedy and as the provision for life. Bottom line, Romans 3, six and John 3, 16, right? So and the Bible prescribes an ongoing relationship with him as the means for a whole and fulfilling life. Okay, well, there's a lot to that there, but he is the remedy to the toxicity of our current state, as we see in John 15 and 17, Colossians 3, Galatians 5, amongst many others. So how should Christians respond in this culture? I mean, really, as we examine the landscape today, we may be caught in the crossfire and wondering, what do we say if we say anything at all? Well, we understand that the Bible is teaching us that we must not condone sin while demonstrating compassion for sinners. That's a difficult balance. We talked about that here even last week, that we have to distinguish between the value and identity of each person as an individual and the behavioral choices which some individuals may make, as we see in Galatians 5, 19 and 25. And we understand that the Bible differentiates between the recognition of personhood and the rejection of those actions, which it defines as immoral, while simultaneously extending forgiveness and healing to all who respond in believing faith to its universal offer of God's grace. And we see that in Luke 15 and John chapter 8. Yeah, I think Jesus set a great example for us of that with not condoning the sin, but loving the sinner with Mm -hmm. the Samaritan woman at the well. That's right. And, uh, you know, I know it's not your husband. You've had five husbands. Uh, But, you know, he was there. What really strikes me about that story is it it goes back to the story of Hagar, the God who sees, the God who sees me. And he was there for that particular woman. That was not an accident that he was there at that time, that she was there at that time, that they were having this discussion. But that was intentional for her to meet up with her at that day. And, And he didn't you know, decide not to meet with her that day because of her past or the sins that she had committed or the things that, that she had done. He didn't condone those things, but the love for her was still clearly expressed by Jesus that day. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And I think that as we explore looking into this even closer, and you and I were talking about this earlier, that we have to be able to distinguish here. I think the, there's a great confusion in our culture 
that somehow if uh, genitalia represents gender, uh, that's an inaccurate biblical statement. I, I think that gender is much more, is much bigger than anything even physically visible by the human eye, right? It, it is there's something in us that distinguishes us as something very different. Um, the way we speak, the what our character, uh, the way we um, see life. There's a even a DNA difference, right? And there's a, something that is beyond human comprehension, even that seems to distinguish between male and female. And Scripture highlights that very closely. Then in our culture, we think, well, we can just change certain things on the outside, and therefore, this means that we are now a different gender. And that's not it at all. In fact, as we were talking earlier, that uh, on Facebook, they are doing a data mining on Facebook, and they can even distinguish now the genders based on the words that we use. And it has 92% accuracy. And that just tells us that right away that there is something different about the genders beyond the anatomy yeah. of an individual. It is bigger than that. And what Jesus always spoke to was the heart of the individual. He speaks right into their character and their nature and their design by God. And there's something beautiful in that where he highlights it very clearly and distinctly. There is. And just as we were speaking about Genesis, when God speaks for the first time about having created man in his own image, the next thing that he speaks to is he created genders, male and female. Mm -hmm. So it goes straight from created in the image of God to, and there were two genders, male and female. That's right. So obviously various and intentional on his part. Absolutely. And and certainly there are differences uh, in anatomy. I mean, we certainly, that's a given. Right. Um, But our culture seems to be trying to blur the lines in everything, right? And and we think, okay, if I take enough estrogen, I can emasculate myself and be totally different than what I was. It's certainly a, a chemical change and an anatomy change, and that makes me a different gender. And that's not what scripture says at all. There, there is something, such a, a beautiful uniqueness to the genders that really complement the entire design at its very origin. We'll get to that here in just a moment, uh, because I want you to see this as well, that as we look at the Hebrew words even, that the way God designed woman and the way he designed man and, and how he did it and the words used to describe them, even taking woman out of the side or the rib of Adam would give us the imagery of even the ark itself. And we see in Ephesians chapter 5 that as Christ is the head of his church, as he declares that man is the head over the wife, this is not like this subordinate role that's almost in a servant-type role, but actually something very unique like even a priest within a temple. We'll get to that in a moment. Let me just highlight just the fact here. We're looking at the original design. The marriage union of man and woman living in a relationship with God was created for a number of reasons. I mean, beyond procreation. Right. And and, and our society would almost deem that as the only reason for two people coming together is maybe tax purposes, procreation, and sexual fulfillment. Right. Or, and even telling us that you won't find full sexual fulfillment in, in just having a monogamous relationship and, and all the lies that go with that. Um, and, and, and again, it's going to be tested. The marriage union is constantly tested on all sides. And, and mocked and belittled and deluded on every social front, it seems. But God has an amazing design in this. And, and certainly as we think about raising up children and the children that come out of that marriage union by the natural design physically that comes out of that marriage union. And in this, it's, there's a, an intent, of course, to raise up the next generation 
and and going and propagating and and you know fulfilling the direct commandments of God to go in the, all the world as you as as you know they were to to recreate and procreate having children and filling the earth with children but in it it wasn't just to fill the earth with bodies and to create more people but to raise up a generation that would know him and we see that in Malachi chapter 2 verse 15 Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 78 this was basically the first church if right. you will, right? To raise up people who would know the Lord. Even Moses, teach them this song because they'll forget me. These children need to know me. There's intentionality. There's there's discipleship. There's training to know the God of heaven and earth. And it's to serve as an institution for personal and spiritual development and to experience the pleasures of a God-honoring union. I mean, he, he uses this union, I believe. It's, it's such an intelligent, beautiful design, as we'd expect from God. But he refines men and women with the characteristics of self-sacrifice, leadership, servant-mindedness, devotion, perseverance, wisdom, and love, just to name a few. In fact, I find that the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, is often cultivated through the marriage bond. Amen. I mean, right? The, my wife knows how to either sometimes push the right button, right? <laughs> but in that, I mean, I learn the qualities of leadership, self-sacrifice, patience, yeah. perseverance. I mean, love is not just this touchy-feely thing. It, it's it's loyalty. It's it longevity. Yep. It, it's that one that you can rely on till the day you've breathed your last. Yep. And all of this, the qualities of the fruits of the Spirit come out which are supposed to be indicative of the church itself that we see in Ephesians chapter 5. So while the culture is fixated on anatomy and chemical uh, breakdowns and changes within the body, they're totally missing the spiritual depth of what the marriage bond represents, something far bigger than human comprehension, truly. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it is amazing within the confines of marriage how those spiritual gifts are developed and expressed and all part of god's greater purpose i just thought it was so wonderful too earlier you were talking about jesus being jesus and he's talking about the original design for marriage and and so he's he's talking to people who consider themselves to be expert in scripture and says have you not read genesis like you know have you not read god's intent from the very first book from the very beginning you know um but i i I think once again like you said god's uh, heart is just so evident in all of this we were talking about god at the beginning of the show and just saying if god is who we believe god to be who's scripture says God is, then he is the most intelligent, loving being in the universe. So isn't it worthwhile for us to seek his opinion in something so important? Yeah. And the toxicity of our sin nature is constantly going to be pulling away from that. Right. He's got a path unto total fulfillment in in a love like we've never known, in a joy like we've never known. Right. And in our sin nature, it's always to try to find something else, to right. run away from that. Yeah. And all we do is run into further trial, tribulation, and chaos, yeah. and, and then blame God for it, yeah. when he's always had the right path for us. Let me just highlight in our couple minutes left, to, and I highlighted these that I was going to allude to it. I may not be able to fully give the detail on it. We may come back to this next week. But in that original design of Genesis chapter 2, 18 to 22, we see that Adam is put to sleep. And the word that we've taken from that is rib, mm-hmm. that God took a, a rib from his side. And, and then he makes a helpmate for Adam. He's just not to be alone. There was, nothing, there was nothing suitable of all the animal kingdom 
to compliment him. And, and so the, this, this subordinate word that we get out of that is actually the phrase azer konegdo. And it actually means a powerful and extensive aid and support. In Deuteronomy 33, 7 and 29 and Exodus 18, 4, the same phrase is used to discuss the potent interventions and deliverances of God himself. That's the gift that woman would be to man. And and then we see in chapter 2 that this side of this rib, the word we get the rib from, is tesela. And it was actually the word that was used at the sides of the Ark of the Covenant or even the altar itself. And so in just a couple seconds here, let me just say that as we sort of preface what we're going to talk about next week, you got to think about what the Ark of the Covenant was. Because in it is, is not only does it have the atonement lid above it, the atonement seat, but in it is the Ten Commandments, right. the staff of Aaron, yep. and you have the manna. So you've got provision, authority, and God's law encompassed within his spirit, his presence, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So this gift of man with woman was to embody this very physical imagery of something that was of a spiritual nature. And that's why when we tamper with it, we're messing with things we can't even understand, even the very image of God himself that's encapsulated in this. So we're out of time today. We're going to have to come back to this, Dr. Ford. It's probably going to take us another couple of weeks, I suspect. (laughs) But if you've been encouraged at all by what you've heard today and you want to go back and listen to it, check it out again. Go and download, share with your friends and family alike at calvaryfountain.com. Services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Again, this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. www.calvaryfountain.com. Learn more there, and we love to worship with you. God bless you, my friends. We love you. Take care.